welcome to the Daft Souls podcast, episode number 46. Apologies for a little month-long hiatus, but from now on we should hopefully be regular, regular, regular. I'm joined by Mr. Quinton Smith. Hello! Doing, Did you repeat the word regular regularly, kind of, to try and... I don't know if it worked. It made me a little scared. Hello. How's it's it fine. I think I almost found myself uh, diving into the theme tune for regular features. <laughs> and I realised, that's just the wrong podcast. Anyway... Darth Souls, and we've just been playing a game, a game, which is a video game, which is a really good video game. This is good. You're giving the people what they want right as soon as they hit Straight go. The bat. None of that Jim Jammy talking about stuff. Oh, how have you been doing? What have you been eating this week? Oh, oh let me tell you a funny story about my way over no, here. No, no. Hell divers. Hell divers. Hell divers. Hell yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, we've just started a, a Let's Play series, haven't we? We've been having a ton of fun. Because uh, a lot of the time we will just, uh, well, you know, in my job as well, reviewing games or doing little videos, you play games and it's all right, isn't it? But we're just, this is great. We're yeah. just enjoying ourselves so much. It is a lot of fun. And I find especially like, you know, Talk Shop very briefly here, there's a funny thing with the difference between when you've got to review a game, you spend hours and hours playing it on your own mm-hmm. and then you talk about whether it's good or not. Uh, but when let, you're doing a Let's Play, traditionally the way it works is then you record every time you're playing the game and it sort of becomes this sort of uh, like an encyclopedia of your little journey through the game which is good sometimes and people do like that sort of thing but I often find that that also means that you just have these long periods of not a lot happening and so it's nice that what we're doing with Helldivers we're playing a bit and recording it and then playing a bit and not recording it and then playing another bit and recording it etc etc which means that because it's not a narrative based game that's not a problem and it should mean that every time we put an episode up each week um, there's a significant change whether it's like we're fighting new aliens or fighting like better aliens than last time so it should be quite cool I think we've just recorded part two or part three technically Um, yeah so uh, yeah and what was amazing is last time we recorded it we were just goofing around on the planet full of bugs and you were killing me and it was oh it was was funny it was so funny and then people are now being dropped into this one which is only I think difficulty five of twelve Mm. Um, and it's just we were not even laughing no. like, we had some actual passive aggression in terms of shooting <laughs> each other like that kind of ha ha don't do that and then it happens again and it's like no, no, stop it Matt Matt stop you've killed me again we should explain Helldivers maybe yeah it's so a- Helldivers basically is a game it's Starship Troopers the mm. game basically it's developed by the people who make Magicka I can't remember the studio name you uh, know. Arrowhead Arrowhead and it's similar to Magicka but a bit less flippant for those of you who haven't played Magicka it's a game <laughs> it's a rabbit hole if we can <laughs> for those of you who haven't played a video game uh, but no Magicka is kind of fun in the fact that you have to kind of use these combinations of different magic spells to make bigger magic spells and how you combine the elements is kind of interesting in the fact that you think, oh, what happens if I combine like water and ice? That's a bad example. You just get wet ice. <laughs> but anyway, um, the fun thing about Magicka was you're trying to work out new spells and then also trying to use your spells without murdering your friends constantly. So a nice example might be you use water as a kind of riot hose to push people back, and that's good. But now you're wet, so when the friend behind you casts lightning, you're just cooked instantly. You're dead, yeah. Or, uh, or the, my favourite, which is putting up a big force field around you, and you've got loads of enemies, and you're <laughs> you're going to go, I'm going to project a force field around us. It's going to be great. Meanwhile, your friend is charging up a lightning bolt, yeah. and you don't realise that. So you put up the shield, he releases the lightning, and it ricochets inside the shell, cooking you both a thousand yeah. times over. Yeah, fireballs are good for that as well. It's all right, I've got a shield. Oh, Oh god, the fireball! Oh, we're trapped in a ball of fire, oh. and you basically just create an instant oven. Yeah. Um. But the thing about Magicka is, it doesn't take yourself seriously at all. And actually, mm. Magicka Wizard Wars now has sort of made a like competitive version of it that's a bit simpler. And actually, I played that a bit, and it was a lot of fun. But Magicka, the original version, is a co-op game, 
are where you do quite often kill each other, but it knows you're going to do that and it doesn't like give you too much grief. For Sometimes it. even deliberately, just for fun, that you'll, yeah. you'll realise it'll be really funny if you throw a big ball of mud at your friend and push him off a cliff or something. Yeah, so it's, it has that element of like friendly fire, but it knows and it, it's sort of like, oh, you, you're going to, oh, you've done yeah. it again. And it allows you to have fun with that. Whereas Helldivers has Helldivers. a similar thing. <laughs> yeah. But not... Helldivers is, again, top-down, uh, up-to-four-player co-op, um, except it's very much a little more like SWAT. I actually spent some time with the Arrowhead guys um, back when I worked for Paradox, uh, and they were they were fun, but they were really into guns. Like, they're from uh, <laughs> Uppsala or something. They're now in Stockholm, but, you know, they... Like, northern Sweden, kind of... Um, Cactus Indie Dev actually made an amazing game about kind of the... It's a lot like the American South, mm. um, and there's a lot of prejudice against them as well. Um... Uh, there's some knowledge about Sweden you didn't have before, but yeah. So these, but also they like guns, and uh, Arrowhead like guns, and this is a game with some real sort of SWAT tactics. You have to work together. You have yeah. to cover each other's backs, and also there is just great gun noises. I noticed that the assault rifle, um, as you're firing it, which makes a wonderful popping noise, the less bullets are in the clip, the more you get a tiny little tinny echo, and then the last few clips in the round you hear. You, you you're firing tr- traces as a reminder well that makes sense because uh, you couldn't really hear anything but the game when we were playing earlier another reason why we were actually at each other's throats in, in quite a way which may have seemed like it was on put on for camera but it was genuinely just being like what are you doing <laughs> and it meant, one of the main reasons that turned out afterwards is because I'd set up this headphones so we wouldn't get too much speaker spill when recording but actually Quinns couldn't really hear me talking so, so Quinns would just, go what are you doing and then I'd answer you and you wouldn't hear me and you'd just go <laughs> yeah, the wonderful thing of uh, of because uh, there is only one camera, so it's it is really tight co-op, which players will know if they've played something like Operation Flashpoint. But you do have that locked camera, so the thing that's not uh, it's particularly thematic in Helldivers, but camera control is vital. So you need to all move in the same direction. And also where you point your guns. Where each player points their guns changes the camera Obviously as well. You, you can play this online as well, and then that's less of a problem. Oh, I guess it would but, be, yeah. um, It's a lot of fun couch co-op. Oh, it's, it's, it's magnificent, yeah. But the thing being, we had a moment in part, the, the, the latest part of the video we just recorded, whereby Madge wanted to fall back, which is reasonable. <laughs> but I was trying to hold my ground and shoot things, which meant that he just ran off pulling the camera so I couldn't see what I was shooting at. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing, though, is that you genuinely have that, kind of fugue of not knowing what's going on and you have the other player go what are you doing you're like, I don't know like, because it gets so <laughs> stressful thing, you run out of ammo you don't know what you're doing and you just think I just need to get out of here and then like but I you can... better be running in the same direction as everyone else and you haven't or... even really got a plan you're just like I'll run away and then I'll have a moment to go um should I call in some ammo should I call in this and then you call in ammo and the ammo lands on your friend instantly killing them but SWAT is a really good way of putting it I think because one of the things we started to notice when we first played it we made as you said we made three videos first one, the first one was a very light introduction where it was just me like learning to play the game a little bit and the second one was a kind of new series Helldufers uh, as I say you can go and check it out on YouTube um, on my YouTube channel which at the moment is Matt Lee's and then yeah basically now we're into the, the meat of it, we've noticed a really severe difference between when we're playing well and when we're not. Yeah. It's like you have a rough time and you're just swamped by enemies and you just get thwomped. Whereas the whole SWAT thing, you can actually, if you listen, you can hear where the enemies are coming from. You can look on the map to see general things where they are. And if you see enemies and you quickly take them out before they call the alarms, then you just don't have any trouble. Mm-hmm. And we found that when we complete missions, usually we don't have any trouble. We're just <laughs> on it. And... Enemies arrive, you take them out. 
Yeah. Or like enemies are coming and it's okay because you've already set up turrets and wire yeah. and bombs and it's not a problem. And the game exists though in those moments whereby, um, let's say, uh, you know, you run to, you're, you're going to start up a sound site which which needs a hilarious combination of up, down, left, right, down, down, up, down, right. And someone basically inputs this ridiculous combo. So, you know, you throw the barbed wire and your friend throws the turret and you're defended. And then the first thing that happens is as you're running away from the turret, it fires at something way off screen and clips you and you go down. Mm. And then you realize your gun's also empty. And then you realize you've lost it. And it's, yeah. the game exists in those moments whereby you haven't, you're not dead, but you're also no longer in a secure position. And can you save it? Can you salvage the situation? There is a constant hairline between the game being like, oh, this is really easy and being we're dead. Like, yeah. It's just, it's so unforgiving, but it's not. It's not brutal. It's just... It's, it's just, always your fault is why. It's always your fault. Yeah, you didn't shoot the guy who calls in the alarm. Yeah. You didn't get out of the way of the firing line of that turret. The turret is the simplest thing because uh, you call in minigun turrets, which are the most absurd, dangerous things in the game. But and then they'll shoot anything and they won't care if you're in the way. No. So it's very straightforward. You can lie down and not be shot or you can not be where the enemies are. But no, often you'll just call in this doomsday turret and pray that there are no enemies between you and it. <laughs> and something we were talking about a few minutes ago, which I think is my favourite feature of the game, yeah, and something which um, really defines it for me as being like... Because, again, when we first started playing this, it, it looked like something which I was like, well, hang on a minute. It's, it just appears to be really generic. You look at it from afar and you go, there's nothing special. Yeah, men with guns. It, um, yeah. Men with guns, you can call down emplacements, you can call down extra ammo, you can call down better guns. It's like, okay, I've seen it before. But what I love about it is the fact that when you do call in these reinforcements, they always come in these little grenade-shaped balls. And it means that in most games, it'd be like, oh, you've got a defensive turret. And it would come at one of those like luminous green ghost turrets that you would move around mm -hmm, with a stick mm -hmm. and go, I want it there. Whereas this is just hands you... A grenade and you throw it like a grenade i.e. like the longer you hold the button down the more you cook it in terms of how far you'll throw it and it has this thing of you being like all right i'll call in the turret you call in the barbed wire you go, okay and you both throw them and you're like we're throwing them really badly like there was one point where we died in a mission immediately because we both ran in with barbed wire being like let's get this position locked down mm -hmm. and we both threw barbed wire in a bush <laughs> well, where they didn't need to be any there was also wire. the great thing that we threw the grenades in that bush and then you know you think to yourself it, maybe it'll land well anyway and then the plane comes in and drops the barbed wire in the bush and you go no but no, that I moment didn't. of hope as well <laughs> yeah because sometimes you throw it and you go oh, it could be bad and then yeah <laughs> a couple of times where you congratulated me for throwing a good grenade it was like <laughs> I just threw it and it happens to land next to the things it, I'm, it's the kind of game that I'm always interested in pushing like I've been a video game journalist for 12 years and it's always these exact games that I always want to use like whatever platform I have to push because it looks less interesting than it is mm. and so it, it just seems, strikes me as so unfair when these games get well those are the hardest gems to, to really shout about and to find and it's like that's the thing is that often when you have these these games which initially look incredibly innovative in terms of the style or whatever people go ooh, ooh, ooh. and often I find you know I, I get it but often you find sometimes games that are like look visually interesting will get more coverage even if they're not actually very good and that's a shame especially with Helldivers because not only is it mechanically fascinating and funny when it seems boring but also the theme and the setting is hilarious because oh, yeah. it seems like oh you're a guy with a gun and a cape whatever but no it's it's doing Starship Troopers better than well more on the nose than the actual movie did it but like the, one of the guys in your ship uh, who we talked to just who has an incidental bark between missions says just like why is our logo a skull we're, we're the good guys right we're referencing well, the Michelin Web yeah. sketch 
And uh, then things like um, one of the hints on loading screens is like, if you want to have a baby, please fill out baby requisition form, like (laughs) B1. It really does make you feel like in the the game's fiction that it delivers you, you're defending Super Earth from the aliens. Yeah, but you're defending Super Earth by going really far away from Super Earth and attacking homeworlds. By basically attacking the homeworlds. And I don't know if at launch the game was so difficult that that Earth was ever at risk, but I get the impression that it never is. (laughs) And you're just constantly pushing back until Super Earth is safe. But I love that it was like one of the things we had to do with the, the cyborgs. The cyborgs are communists. In the, in the I, I, the I'm not even sure they are. They might just be socialists. Well, or socialists. Certainly, they're enemies of democracy. Yeah, they're enemies of democracy. That's the important thing because we saw when we started a new campaign that it said, "Oh yeah, um, the aliens are being the, the bugs are being used for fuel, <laughs> like, and the cyborgs have got a democracy going on." But you you realize that one of the things you're doing because they're cyborgs is you have to activate. Truth, truth transmitters. Truth transmitters. That's so it's it. this idea of being like, oh, they just these robots just don't understand the truth. So let's let's plant a massive beacon that, that will transmits ch- the truth to their brain, <laughs> so they stop believing the lies in their heads. Oh, it's and funny. It's subtle, but it's it's subtle in in a way. Yeah, and in then a way like, which if you look, you go, oh god, this is we're we're bad. And also, it just it's the perfect setting for a game where you do die constantly, and there is the impression that everything you're doing is deeply unsafe. Like the, the hell bombs are the best. Like a lot of the time, you have to destroy big emplacements um, by calling in something called a hell bomb, and you you think you call it in and it's going to blow up, but then actually, what happens is it's a um, it kind of lands, and then you need to arm it by pressing some buttons. Yeah, everything else in Hell Divers takes time, and just uh, following through this thread of like. You are just meat. You are you're like this democratic weapon, which is just not has no respect at all. When you arm a hell bomb, you expect it's going to have a countdown, and it just doesn't. <laughs> no. So you have to it, as the second someone hits the hell bomb, you have to sprint. <laughs> and because of the camera which follows you both, you have to know which direction you're sprinting. Like, left, 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 left. Oh no, not that way. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I think that one of the first few times we did a hell bomb, I got stuck in some barbed wire. Oh, that, that was great. Down. You forgot you called down the barbed wire and ran oh, straight, straight into, into the it. barbed wire, running away from a nuke. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And I also think um, one of the things I'm really impressed with so far is there's a really nice unlock structure in terms of it not just being like constantly better weapons, but giving you different tools, which you start to realize when you start finding the different enemies, you think, oh, actually, this is more useful against Yeah, I wasn't this. expecting that because I played it a bit when I suggested we do the Let's Plays, but I wasn't expecting that like different aliens require different things like yep. the SMG against the bugs was amazing my shotgun is going to be apparently amazing against bugs or maybe it's against good against squishy things so maybe the tentacle things which we haven't which we have yeah. but I'm looking forward to oh also one of the things the DLC's added because this game's been packed with DLC since we started playing um, uh, well not DLC but just free content um, all the species now have really giant Enemies, none of which we've encountered because we're playing on. We're still supposedly what we're doing is easy. Doesn't seem easy. No, but yeah, there are just giant enemies which require you to call in things like anti-tank guns and stuff because obviously your SMG isn't going to. Hurt but I, them. I, I love the detail to um, the fact that it's not just reskinned things. When you go to the different worlds and you go to the different like enemy types, they are different. Mm-hmm. And it's this sensation of like the fact that it doesn't ever really tell you anything. I mean, it's a classic. Never, no. You, you, you're you landing on a planet and then you don't know what you're going to encounter. You don't know what kind of enemies are going to run at you. It's just going up against cyborgs. Good luck. Because there's, there's been a level of subtlety which I enjoy. Well, in, in Magicka, that kind of exploration that of the mechanics was 
kind of just written on its... It was front-loaded, right? Yeah, it was like, hey, you're going to make spells. What are the spells going to be? I don't know, just get on with it. So you know that that's an element of the game, is experimentation. Whereas in this, we've had little minor experimentations of being like, I wonder if this does this, I wonder if this... Oh, yeah, yeah. And you realise it's one of these games that actually has a tremendous amount of detail, and I'm really excited to play more of it. Yeah, there's an excellent moment where one... Again, even different mission types. There was a wonderful moment where we were told to... uh, to clear some some unexploded bombs from an area in I think part one of the video and without wanting to spoil what happens we had an interesting uh, realisation of how we were supposed to do that <laughs> according to our bosses and uh, it ended interestingly yeah it's good I like it a lot and I'm looking forward to playing more but I, I recommend giving it a go especially yeah, if you have, are looking for something that you can play with somebody close to you and shout at each other uh, yeah, in a jovial way it, maybe a serious way as well it's not even that expensive a tenor get like a buddy over you each buy in fact I think you only need to buy Helldivers once then get them in couch co-op you'll have a great time yeah, it's really good it's really good um, actually another game I've been playing recently which is also quite good at just not really explaining anything to you and letting you just work out what the hell is going on as you go is the swindle mm-hmm. ah yes and that's something which is another kind of classic kind of roguelike thing in the fact that it's you. You basically appear to be terrible at it for a while, and then <laughs> See, I don't know, man, because I, I gave it a shot while uh, you know after you recommended it, and I, I don't know what's gone. What's gone wrong? I don't seem to be terrible at it. I seem to be doing okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Currently, uh, how far are you? Which uh, you get well, to? I can tell you about a one point eight thief multiplier that's very high yeah. I don't think I've ever got that high I think I'm erring on the side of caution because I'm doing like early missions more to uh... ah this is the thing I've kind of thought about and actually the one thing I'm not sure about with Ooh, the swindle let's definitely explain what the swindle is yeah so the swindle is basically a it's a kind of crime game where you have to uh, break into buildings bypass security it's got elements of lots of things going on it's, it's, it's a bit spelunky I think it's I, I would go as far as to say it's it's very spelunky I'd say it's, it's it's very like Spelunky, but it kind of, and it's one of the things that isn't isn't great about it. It lacks the precision and finesse of of, of the level generation. Well, we um, of a lot of things in yeah. terms of the control, like in terms of the way you handle as a platformer. Um, it's a game that kind of fudges that by as you go through, you have upgrades which just give you more jumps, so you can just jump in the air more often, mm-hmm. which is a kind of neat way of getting around the fact that sometimes the jumping is a little bit less reliable than you need it to be. Yeah. Um, but then also it has elements like, um, it has kind of slightly Bioshock or System Shock elements of the way that hacking works and the way you can, uh, you know, have all these bots and you can, if you get the other upgrades, you can hack bots so they're on your side, etc. Or shut them down for a moment. Yeah, you you know, you can hack mines so that enemy mines can become... It's funny, isn't it? Because if it could do exactly the same thing with human guards, right? And that you could, you know, send them to sleep for a while or change them to your side. But the language of robots is so baked into the brains of gamers. It's like, yeah. oh, EMP, that'll disable them for a while, then they'll stand back up. Or like, of course I can take over bots. Whereas if you were using like tear gas and mind control devices, it would be way less intuitive. And I think also the, the theme really ties in nicely to the limitations of the design. Uh, which they, you know there are don't get me wrong there are a lot of limitations to the design and one of the, so do you want to just show like what you're doing in so yeah in what game. you're doing is you are breaking into buildings hacking computers to get money and then you are leaving with the money <laughs> you're now, trying to leave which sounds easy but if the there's already lots of guards patrolling and the robots basically just patrol like quite simple and again that's what I mean limitations they often the enemies are just moving left to right until they hit a platform edge and then they just reset yeah so it's this thing of being like I've, I've seen a few people being like oh yeah the AI is really bad it's like what are you talking about the AI isn't bad it's it's just incredibly it's basic. incredibly simple yeah. and the difficulty comes from other elements 
Um, but yeah, so basically you don't get seen. And if you get seen, then robots will immediately start being hostile. They can kill you very, very easily if you let them. And also, once you've been seen, there's a certain amount of time before the police turn up. The police are robots who, again, are incredibly stupid, but I kind of like how stupid the police are. They just turn up in vast numbers. <laughs> and you can't kill them. So basically, you have this this um, risk-reward element of as soon as the alarm goes off, you've got to think... And also, money starts draining out the computers. That's the other important thing. So you've got this lovely money in the computers, but alarm goes off, money starts draining, which means you go from having this incredibly slow-paced game, if you want it to be, you can take as long as you want on each mission, there's no hurry at all, mm -hmm. to being like, ah, and you think, well, <laughs> I'm just going to quickly get that last computer, and then I'll leave. Yeah, so there's a couple of nice things with the alarm as well, whereby, you know, you, the alarm might be going off, and you'll go, oh, I'll stick around till the money drains. Then you try and leave via your little escape, steampunk escape pod, and then you see... I'm not going to spoil it, but quite a lot of police hanging around your escape yeah. and you realise you've in fact lost. The other reason that I just want to say that it, it you know, it, it borrows a lot from Splunky um, is that obviously if you spend too much time in Splunky, then a ghost shows up that just wanders through the procedurally generated level and can find you because it clips through. Splunky does, ex uh, sorry, uh, Swindle does exactly the same thing, but rather than clipping through, it uh, it has a more direct approach, which again I won't spoil. Yeah. But the, uh, the helicopter that comes to get you is, uh, is almost identical to Splunky's ghost, except it's not in a key way. Yeah. Um, the other thing, of course... In a key way, which can sometimes help you yeah, in, in a mad way. It's interesting. I don't know. It's, it's one of those games where like there are lots of things about it that are quite imperfect. Again, sometimes the platforming stuff can be frustrating. Um, and actually, on other platforms, there are some, some pretty big technical yeah, issues. Yeah, you had some trouble on the Vita. Yeah, I've been playing it on PC a lot. On the PC, it runs pretty smoothly. There are like structurally some things about it which aren't that great navigating the shop menu to buy upgrades yeah, is a, that's pretty bad yeah I guess I don't want to be too negative because I am having fun with it and it's it, the art is beautiful yeah um, uh, yeah just I think like, this is one of the things is I'm aware that there's lots about it which isn't isn't great and I'm hoping that uh, those are things that can kind of be uh, finessed in the future hopefully sort of thing you kind of think because it is that sort of game it is that roguelike where the idea is a game that you can keep playing um, for like long last time just because it's fun and I kind of feel at the moment like the overall puzzle and how long it'll take you to get good enough to finish it might yeah. not take that long it's not it doesn't seem as structurally robust as stuff like Spelunky yeah Spelunky was, a, was obviously I mean it, it's a masterpiece right we can all yeah. agree on that but uh, the thing being like when you complete a world in Spelunky it just you've spent so much time learning the systems and then mm -hmm. the beautiful thing is the world changes and it's a whole set of new systems to learn. Like, I think one of the best gaming moments ever is, like, you finally get through Spelunky's mines and you end up in the jungle. Yeah. And all the rules in the jungle are just so funny. Um, whereas Swindle, uh, I've been a bit disappointed. You go further than me, but Swindle has that wonderful thing of, like, you, you steal money, you can pay for upgrades and amazing new abilities, or you can upgrade the next world and the worlds obviously have more money but more security. Yeah. Um, but I was disappointed by what it did, you know, I was expecting all kinds of new crazy stuff, but actually it's more mines, more robots, more cameras, they just move a little differently. Yeah, you do get some different stuff actually, and there is still that nice element of the fact that because it never tells you exactly what things do, there are certain robots which I've just been terrified of for ages because I don't know what they do. <laughs> and then when you work out what they do, it's like, oh okay, like, you know. That's cute. And it's like that thing of being like, I keep killing stuff really quickly, but killing it in a really like, ah, way because I don't really understand what it will do to me. If it, <laughs> so if you it, never find out. Uh, yeah, and then eventually it does kill you, and then you go, oh okay, I get it now. And I like that but then you go you approach it differently but as you say it does get to a point where uh, because it's procedurally generated and it's not procedurally generated in a way 
Um, that is clean as clean that is as always as clean like the thing about Splunky is it, it gets around the problem in the same way as the swindle does have giving you the option to have bombs yes. so it means that if you get stuck you can just blow your way through walls uh, or if you get just delivered an, a room that just seems really difficult I was so weirded out I think my first ever world had no way to get to the lower floor which seems impractical for a house yeah you get that quite a bit and I don't really mind that sometimes because there are occasions, especially when you start punching above your weight and going into like the more difficult levels before you've got many skills, which is seems like something that's a good idea to do in terms of getting loads of money quickly, and it is. But it means you do have the risk of just getting to places where you get into the front door and you go, I haven't got any of the skills or tools. To, oh man, I do love to that. Do that. I like that. That's though. my favourite thing. It's like you've the, turned up to a job and you haven't got the right skills for it. The thing know. that in the swindle that by far required the least coding and is the best thing about it is the fact that if you survive a heist by stealing most of the stuff in a level um, and go back to your escape pod and leave, that character, who is just, you know, who you spawn as randomly, gets a multiplier. So next time, every heist you do in future with that character, assuming they don't die, is like, oh, it's now you get an extra 10% bonus and Mm -hmm. then an extra 20% bonus. So you can have this great master thief who will walk up to the casino, walk into the lobby and go, nah, (laughs) and leave. Which is a real problem because you only have 100 randomly generated levels to win the game. Have 100 days, yeah. And you can extend it. There's a way of extending oh, it. Oh, yes. But, I, see, the thing is, I really like that mechanic. And I think it's really cool because it has this extra layer of risk of being like, yeah, but it, don't risk this character because they've got this great multiplier. But then also being like, yeah, but you could increase the multiplier more, Even more. if you do this, which is great. But I, I've realized now, I don't know how much this will... Uh, have an impact on the overall kind of structure of how the game works in terms of long term but it seems to me that the best way to play it is to have a character who right from the start you do quite well with and then because it's really hard to get like the majority of the money once the game gets harder because you rather than having like two computers you have like seven mm-hmm. and you have tons of security so maybe do the early worlds a lot to yeah, get the multiplier you do the early worlds a lot well to get the multiplier and then you move on but then you create this problem of then when you die if you die and lose your multiplier before you're satisfied that you've got enough money, it might just give you more of a being like, oh, I'll just have to reset again. And the issue with that is that the early stages of the game, once you've done them a few times, are a little bit tedious. Yeah. Um, so I, it, Hence the Tunnel Man from Spelunky, right? That yeah. lets you jump straight into later worlds. Absolutely. And so it's one of these things where I really love that mechanic and that kind of extra element of stress and risk and reward. But I'm not sure how well it gels and it might feel like it slightly clashes with uh, some of the wider mechanics of the game. But again, it's one of these things I, I hope that... Um, that it continues to be supported in, in, in an interesting way in terms of like tweaks and changes and stuff and updates because I think that despite all of this stuff and despite the fact that there's lots of things about it that I kind of go, that's ah, not quite right. Um, you I were really playing, like playing it on the entire flight to Gen Con. I Genkon. really like playing it. And yeah. I, I, the thing is, I was playing it on the entire flight to Gen Con on my PS Vita. And as I was saying earlier, the PS Vita version is not very good. It has quite decent load times I have updated it to the most recent version and there was the real frame rate drop as well and the frame rate exactly when you didn't need it to happen yeah the frame rate is a real issue on the Vita version because it just when things get too busy it starts to slow down and actually it started to slow down a few times to the point where it wasn't it was somehow skipping inputs so I was jumping oh it wasn't jumping because it slowed down too much so it was fun for the early bits but then when you got to the harder levels when there were more robots it couldn't handle it and also it seemed to be getting around the um the problem with having too many robots of just having them not existing when they were on the screen the classic Mega Man thing yeah and it was kind of like it wasn't that much of a problem it just meant that you just start to play the game with that in mind and so it was just different but it meant that it kind of had that annoying thing where 
your robot will be near the edge and then they go to the uh, off the screen and rather than doing what you do on the normal on the PC version of just sitting there and waiting until they came back so you could jump up behind them you would actually have to go and nip off to the right nip off to the right to to spawn them back in Mm. which was just sort of like mm. I mean it's fine it's amazing on PC buy it on PC yeah that's the thing it's it's really good on PC I don't know what it's like on PS4 but on Vita it's one of these things where I was still playing it despite the fact that it was running badly but that's just because I really like it so there you go Swindle is uh, the best game that we have the most to complain about yeah I mean it's tidying me over because I was so excited to see in terms of like procedurally generated stealth you, God, I love Invisible Ink, and uh, we're going to yeah. do a Let's Play series on that once mm-hmm. we're done with Helldivers, and that can't come soon enough. But um, I saw that they've uh, not only have they talked about DLC for it, they're going to do free content updates and DLC, which is everyone's favorite model, right? Awesome, yeah. Um, but they've said that there's so much support for it that they're going to increase the scale of the DLC. So it's going to cool. happen in fall, which is the American word for fall. Autumn. Oh, I autumn down the stairs and broke my legs. And you know what they're going to do, Matt? They're going to increase the length of the campaign, which previously was 72 hours of stealing. Now ah. it's going to be like, you, I guess, do the mission at 72 hours, and if you survive that final mission, there's more campaign and another final... <clears throat> excuse me another final mission That's that so wasn't, I wasn't put speak. on I was genuinely just too excited you really did lose your shit there I did so if we can time it when that DLC hits if we can do our let's play then yeah it should be good Hot that's dog. the thing is it's like Invisible Ink and Swindle share a lot of DNA I think it's interesting it's one of these almost zeitgeisty things you know if two games being developed at the same time and coming out with similar ideas you get that a lot with all technology all media and yeah. well, just history it's just how it works um, but, but yeah it's cool don't like the fact that we just uh, sort of complained about things in Swindle it's just one of those things where the core of how it plays is so much fun and so addictive that I must have played it across both platforms for about 12, I think hours. it's one also one of those cases where it's such a good idea for a game that it can't live up to what it is in your imagination. Like, yeah. Spelunky Burglary, sold. Like, yeah. done. And, like, and then you between levels, you go up to an airship to upgrade your yeah. character with, like, bugs and goggles and, and stuff. And it's one of those things where when I first started playing it, I wasn't entirely sure. And then I had one mission where... I was leaping across the rooftop with tons of police chasing me and I just saved my double jump for the last split second so before I landed on the policeman's head I jumped again got in the pod shot off into the sky got away with all the money and heart in the chest just proper like punched the air and then a couple of missions later I did the exact same thing and uh, the police shot me down dead and both were amazing and exciting so yeah that's it sold tell you something else I've been playing that is Interesting. That is also one of those wonderful Steam games that is about ten pounds. That seem to just be my favourite thing right now. Uh, <laughs> the Magic Circle. Oh yeah, this I, it's a weird one. I've seen a little bit about it. And what, what do you know about it? We can compare your guess as what it is with what it actually is. I know that it's a game where you are basically travelling through worlds which are unfinished games. Yep, and you are like basically going through somebody else's. Uh, which I assume is kind of a bit of a development in-joke in the fact that people apparently notoriously with games uh, like just start things and never finish them. Yeah, so this is the gist. It's, uh, I think, one of the lead devs on Bioshock, one of the lead level designers, I think. It's a small indie team and uh, with some great, backed up by some great... Sooner or later, like, how many ex-developers of Bioshock are there? You know how many people work on Bioshock? Plus, Irrational had a really weird... Uh, Let's let's swing the inside baseball bat at the inside. <laughs> there we go. So uh, Irrational is actually really interesting as a studio because usually um, you get really high turnover at the bottom of studios. It's mm-hmm. like people who are just like, uh, you know, coders or artists leave. Because they get treated badly. Uh, well, no, bear with me. So they leave because they can use that experience and get better positions elsewhere. While the studio leads, like creative lead, lead level designer, lead artist will stay on because they have so much power. Irrational is the opposite. 
Um, hmm. for, for some unknown reason. It seems, to, it seems to be that the people at the top, all the leads, end up leaving. And the people at the bottom stay on because all the leads uh, go up to... Because the leads constantly are being replaced by people directly beneath them. So the people at the bottom stick around and the people at the top leave. Why would the people at the at the top of the studio leave, do you think? I've got no idea, it's but crazy. actually that's kind of a good kind of churn because it means by keeping the same majority of staff, you probably make better games. Well, you certainly make a lot of great indie games from people who are the leads that are rational. And then <laughs> I was a lead at Irrational for about 10 minutes. And then and now I use my experience. So anyway, Magic Circle is um, uh, a game whereby you are a kind of ghost in the machine. Uh, it's not really clear who you are or what you are. You, it's almost like magic. It's a weird mingling of like a very close to the bone, here's an unfinished video game that you inhabit. But what are you? It's not really clear. Um, and here the thing that I wasn't expecting though is that when level designers uh, and the lead designer are in the world, uh-huh. like in engine, um, using their tools to change the game, they appear as like floating spectator bots. So you're like hiding from these uh, devs who are like editing the game and having arguments and discussions over Skype about the world you're in. Like very early on you pick up your sword and then the lead designer swoops in and is like, what is this? No, I said there would be no combat because then there, there can't be, this is a story of love and all this stuff. <laughs> and you've got the, the, the lead programmer arguing with him. Um, and then the sword leaves your hand and you're like, ah. So all the way you deal with enemies in Magic Circle as you progress through this profoundly unfinished world with some really, really interesting twists is coding. Kind of. You can um, use your, essentially, a magic spell which kind of traps something and it starts glitching out. And then you can pull all the stasises off it. And this is the game, right? So you go, like a, a dog attacks you, and then you uh, you open it up in the in the browser, you freeze it, open it up, and you remove its ability to move. And then you, you can go is back. Is that just done with text? Like you just find no, it it's says. kind of a drop-down menu which you oh, okay. manipulate with an FPS. So like it's very, very easy. Like people can figure it out and start feeling really clever very quickly. So you know the first thing you do is pull off the dog's like uh, you know legs. Obviously. Yeah, and then suddenly it's a dog that can't move. We've all had pets. And then, <laughs> they're a lot easier to manage. I keep mine in a cardboard box under the bed. <laughs> that, that was really dumb. I know. I know. Yeah. So, you so yeah, the, things. what you do is you can also remove their status and you can remove what they're an enemy of. So about halfway through the game, then you might see where this is going. Ah. You can't attack, but you can be like, um, you're an ally of Hero, which is you. Um, and suddenly you create a posse of monsters who you've turned to your bidding. And then the puzzle that are things like, for example, there's lava. And how do you, well, okay, so you maybe take a rock and then you give it the flame-proof attribute and then you make it throwable. Or, and then you throw it into a river of lava and you can jump over it. Right. So you're manipulating and tweaking the game in all kinds of ways to try and get over, get through problems. This sounds like a kind of uh, elaborate and interesting coat of paint for a 3D point-and-click adventure. Uh, yeah, kind of. Although there's some genuinely tricky stuff relating to the fact that, um, unlike point-and-click games, and my God, would I ever play point-and-click games if this was true, um, you're dealing with actual real rules of the world. So it's not like that throwing a rock over the river was the only way to do that. Another way to do it would be um, you find teleporters um, around the world. Uh, just like in real life. Yep, and you just like real life, you can strip those of their attributes, which is to like teleport to and from. And so then you can have, for example, a pet bird and you give it the teleporter attribute and then you send it, like make it an enemy of some fucking thing on the other side of the river. So it will fly towards that and start attacking a rock on the other side of the river, but it's still got that teleport to. So your beetle, who has the teleport from, you walk onto the beetle and you get teleported to the bird. Like, the only way <laughs> to solve the solutions, you just gain all these attributes, you're like cherry-picking them off things, and then you are solving problems using the, the cast-iron rules of the game. Um, I don't want to go into any more because I'd be spoiling solutions, yeah. but... 
it's not some developer decided here's you know like the solution to this problem it's here's a river of lava here's a railgun robot here's a, a huge spider queen which has infinite health how do you defeat that and then there are multiple solutions for every single problem in the game but along the way a lot of the the humor and the jokes are all about making a game and the idea of Mm. the creative arguments that would happen in making oh, a game is that yeah. what it's about the great thing is uh, you know so Bioshock's like audio logs yeah. um, they actually they were always they were slightly bizarre like what was the, why was everyone recording like diaries it didn't quite make a lot of especially sense especially like recording a diary just before their children get dragged away yeah so with this is actual dev notes so you go into a room and there's a dev note which a level designer has left here and you read it and it's storytelling about the game and the development around the game but it's like, you get that through a level designer being like, okay, I'm redoing this level for the 10th time. Here's what's broken. Don't touch this. Don't change this. And so it's simultaneously clues about the room, just like in Bioshock, but storytelling. But dev notes, developers would you have a reason to Passive aggressive like, relationship. Oh, it's amazing. People. Yeah, the, uh, the giant spectator level designers are floating around being essentially omnipotent gods who you hide from, but they have, they're having the most petty arguments <laughs> about designing the game that you're in right now. The thing I would say that makes the Magic Circle the sort of like the special spice that is the way you should play it. This game's been in development for a long time. Mm. Like I mean, I don't mean like a few years. I mean like decades. That's why it's so weird and unfinished, and why there's so much to dig up. So you can find some very interesting stuff when you start uh, really, really digging through the level design. Oh, okay. So not the game itself. The the game. Well, the game itself, playing. kind of. If you, for example, find a way to leave the world that you're currently in, you might like everyone's clipped through the floor in video. No, games, yeah, so. no. I just mean like I, I didn't. I thought you meant that the game that see this problem is it's a game, but it's a game. So when you're saying oh yeah, it's been development for a long time. Do you mean the game in the in the world, uh, or do you mean the game itself? I'm <laughs> That's what wow. I'm trying to get my head around. Wow. No, I mean the world. The story. Okay. In the story of the Magic Circle, the world you're inhabiting has been uh, inhabited for... It's, it's been, been in development for a long time. No, I think they churned this one out in like two years. Yeah, so I'm going to say, I'm like, wow, like, hang on a minute. If they've been doing it for 20 years, like, it must have been... What? Yeah, no, it's... Uh, was it originally a SNES game or something? Or yeah. Like, I'd be yes? curious to know as to whether wandering around an unfinished game was, you know, allowed them to cut a lot of corners in development or whether it was really hard to create something. Probably a bit of both. I reckon it allowed them to cut some corners really effectively, but then other things become probably really complicated. Yeah. Um, the other... Although, in terms of, like, uh, manipulation stuff, did you know Invisible Ink, I think it's Invisible Ink, has an achievement whereby you actually have to hack the game? You have to go into, um, you have to open up EXEs and source files and change source code in order to wow. get, yeah, in order to get the final like achievement for hacking, which, That's is, cool. which is funny. Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah. Now the Magic Circle sounds really interesting. I've actually been dabbling really briefly um, myself over the past few weeks with Game Maker mm-hmm. and learning to code. You've been in bit. an actual unfinished game. Of yeah, I tell you what. When you're in an actual unfinished game, it's not much fun. <laughs> <laughs> but you've been enjoying it, right? I've really been enjoying it, actually. I've kind of got the bug for it in a big way. Um, I've been working on something for about, well, not full-time, obviously, but working on things on and off, like when I've got evenings, uh, for maybe two, three weeks now. So this is, I mean, this is the big thing that's happened in games recently, right? It's that game development tools are getting way simpler to use. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I started off using Tom Francis's tutorials. Uh, he's got kind of he's the series. developer of Gunpoint and yeah. soon to be the space game where you throw spanners uh, at people. It's called the, the space game where you can go into the ships. Yeah. It isn't called that, but he jokes that that was what he was going to call it or something. <laughs> um, I've completely... It looks good. Something to do with trails, something to do with jet something. Jet trails. Oh, Tom Francis's Jet Trails that's 2015. It. Coming soon to the 3DS. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, yeah, so he's making that and he's done these tutorials. 
I found that what tends to happen is I did some other tutorials and then I went, oh, oh, and I kind of understood the code and then I went off and did something elaborate with it and then thought, oh, you've got to be distracted, go back to the tutorials and then usually found a few tutorials later that something I'd gone a really elaborate way of doing something I could actually do in a really easy way and I just wasted that time. But not really wasted because it's that fun of, it's, it reminds me of when I first started learning how to use Photoshop and Premiere and stuff of, um, or even earlier, like software, trying to trying to do certain effects in Premiere before mm-hmm. Premiere got good. And now if you want a certain effect, you just press that button. Yeah. Uh, whereas it used to be like, oh, how can I do this? And you could do some clever stuff. I, it was nice. To, it's, it's been interesting for me seeing your game develop and the amount of things that I've gone, like, oh, that's an interesting feature. And you say it came about through some weird glitch in your code, <laughs> like a bug, yeah. and you're like, I'll keep that in. It's fine. I, I realize increasingly when you're trying to do complicated things in games, it's just like trying to wrestle a wild animal. And you never really win. <laughs> you just go, That's, that'll do, I think. Like, I've, one of the most complicated things, I, I've gone through lots of prizes of, of like the basic stuff. I've now started trying to make things look a bit nice. I'm doing some very basic art. Um, uh, because before that, it was just super mechanical. Uh, um, then let's, let's, let's not give the listeners the wrong impression. Your game is about shooting crabs. It's about shooting crabs, yeah. And what uh, happens when you die in your game about shooting crabs? Uh, the big letters that say fucked it come on the screen. <laughs> and there's a sort of... <laughs> so far the idea is really they're going to be you're not actually going to get killed by crabs. You just really hate them. And so you're just killing them all. But then when you get touched by a crab, it's like you've lost. But I don't really like the implication that the crabs really mean you much harm. Because uh, sure. they're just these happy, smiley things. Um, so this is your opus. People at home, you could be making something just as ambitious as this. Absolutely. Well, it's got a lot of ambitious stuff in it. It's got like random blood splatters and I want to make it so the crabs, when they die, they fall into the back and spin off. It's the important thing. The thing I want to know more about is how you're enjoying it and why you're enjoying it. Because I think people at home would think like, oh, learning game development tools, that sounds like a massive pain. Certainly that's what I think when I think about learning to code. There's a certain magic to spending a lot of time doing something and then seeing it envisioned. Mm-hmm. I think immediately it's really exciting because you kind of go... Uh, all right, well, I'm going to make this little man, and you draw a crap man, and you go, I'm going to make him shoot bullets, and then, and then you're just like pressing W, A, S, and D, and you're aiming the mouse, and you're shooting, and you're like, wow, wow, like this is, I made this, mm-hmm. like, and it's crap, but you made something happen, yeah. And I enjoy making videos because it's like I made this, and yeah. This thing. I think video editing, it's a very similar feeling of like, if I so if I drag this to here, does it play as one? <gasps> it plays yeah. as one movie. Yeah. Well, like with video, it's often a lot more immediate because you go oh wow like and it just amazingly looks better straight away whereas it's more like similar to After Effects this idea of, of being like you kind of know in your head what you want it to be uh, but you know it's going to take you a lot of steps to get there you go well first I need to do this first I need to do this and really at first it was quite immediately satisfying but I've already hit that point where I can see why people stop with oh, really? games yeah because you start to get this this complicated thing of the, the very basic thing I've learned about code is the fact that you have like the order of the code is really important and at first that's fine really simple things but then it has this thing of being like well you need to make sure that at the start of your code all of the, the variables it needs to know need to be listed so anything uh-huh. it, it's going to you can't use a term later on unless you've listed it at the start of being like this is what this is otherwise it gets to it and just goes it's like somebody annoying who's watching a TV program who's going what's he doing what's his character and you're oh like God, what was the thing you're like oh but the, you'll find out who it is in a minute like <laughs> <laughs> so the thing that happened when I was just watching you said oh look at this cool thing that happens when you die and then you killed yourself in your game and what happened was the game immediately crashed because it no longer knew how many bullets were in your gun? Yeah, it was. It had you know one of the heads-up display things is showing you like how many kind of how much you've been shooting, and that's a visual element which is reliant on getting information from the player character. Which so is when the player character dies, uh, it just goes, "Where's the gun?" Um, <laughs> and then it just crashes. 
Um, so it's that thing of understanding the structure and the fact that at the start of the code, you need to have all the variables, but at the end, it becomes this important thing of ordering things at the end because the idea is that these these things happen every like frame in the game. Yeah, it's running through the same code, so it like you need to make sure that the important things that cannot the rules that are like the important rules like you cannot walk through walls or like you must be dead if you get hit needs to go towards the end. Mm-hmm. So otherwise, like things can go wrong, and you start to realize that when you've got all these different complicated things happening at once, the order becomes quite finicky, and sometimes you get strange problems. Like I'm trying to do collision at the moment. I'm trying to make it so that the the, the army of crabs that come after you. I'm not going to make it so you don't walk into each other because that seems fucking impossible. I'm just trying to make it so you don't walk into each other too often. <laughs> Again, that's what your standards are. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm trying to do that and it just keeps crashing. I mean, I do feel that the longer you spend in the games industry, uh, the more you learn just how ridiculously insane an endeavour making a game is. Um, yeah. And like... All these people on like forums who are like, "Oh, my game's buggy!" Don't have just you have no concept of how difficult it is for publishers to make sure developers ship on time and for developers to produce the game they need within the scale that they need. I mean, even just deciding how big your project is going to be. Oh yeah, knowing you have eighteen months to develop it, that can sink a game before you've even started. I mean, I'm trying to make a really simple project. I just want to have something that I can finish that is quite simple in terms of scope, mm-hmm. but is presented nicely and is enjoyable. Sure, um, but it, even that, like you realize once you got past the very basics and you start to have this expanding code, when you have problems, like at first you test something and you go, it doesn't work. And then you just keep changing the code until it works. But then later on you have these strange things happening. Like as your code base increases. And then yeah. you're just like, why is this? <laughs> and you sometimes it's a real puzzle to try and work out. Like like the fact that some of my crabs had two heads and some of them didn't have any. <laughs> and that was, I was because, like, uh, you should oh, explain this because this is cute. Well, it's because I'm sure there's a better way to do it, but all of the crabs work out Basically, this crabs and legs and heads get spawned in next to each other, but then it goes, this is my head. By basically going, what's the nearest head to me now? And it's like, it's this one. Seems great. This is my head. I can see no way this goes wrong. And then sometimes the crabs get too close together. And then one of the crabs effectively, in terms of the code, steals the head from the other one. (laughs) And then you've just got these legs walking around and crab with two heads I saw a thing uh, Reddit recently found out that the way like trains work in uh, Fallout Fallout, one of the Fallout games yeah it's a helmet it's a helmet belongs (laughs) to a human being who's moving really fast and then the body is hidden so if you spawn in the body in the code all trains have like massive torsos attached like underneath them that slide around and that was true in uh, Star Wars Galaxies as well I can say this now because it's I I won't get anyone fired but I knew that uh, from an inside dude the, the way they made ships land in um, in Star Wars Galaxies was they they were, again, the head of a human. And then they played a crouching animation on the human. So yeah. the ship gets brought in really low, which is nuts. That's it. It's often you just, you just end up fudging stuff. And I'm having quite a lot of fun with it just because you start to get a real uh, understanding of how very basic things happen. Mm-hmm. Of, of not thinking about it logically um, and thinking about, like, even simple things like I was talking earlier. I won't get into it. It's boring. But this idea of ideally you know you want the enemies regardless of where they are on the map to be walking towards you but actually I've kind of coded it in a way so that they don't they kind of walk in your general direction but it means that when they appear to you when they appear on screen they kind of come in this kind of wider crowds rather than this sort of focused funnel uh, which is just a bit more fun and it's not how things should work but you kind of start to work out these strange techniques that you can use to kind of wrestle the code into doing something that makes sense I remember who was it Um, I think it was maybe the gentleman who Ed Key who made um, Proteus I was doing Mm. an interview with him and he was talking about the benefits of like having a group of indie developers and you all meet up and you all share ideas and you all share code like as in you share help with each other for these exact problems Mm. and I was saying like what's your coding like and oh it might have been Bennett Foddy actually 
was interviewing one of those two and they were like, oh, no one can see my code. I don't let anyone see my code because it's so embarrassing, like the way I, I fudge everything. It's, I, I started this conversation wanting to be like, hey, look how easy it is to make games. And now I realize like we've immediately just gone into the problems. No, I'll tell you what, it's not actually very difficult. Um, and that's what's really blown my mind. That sometimes if you want to do clever stuff with maths, it gets complicated. But hey, you Google it and somebody else has already worked it out. And mm, usually they just Which said, is exactly what you do in video editing. Yeah. And usually like people are really cool. So people just go, just use this code. Like there's no like attribution. Uh, sometimes people just go, just, just use this and so I've done some things I couldn't do and actually what's interesting now is when I first copy and pasted it in I was like this is alien <laughs> and now I look back and I kind of understand it yeah. so I'm getting a bit better at like deciphering what this stuff means I mean the other thing I would also say is as I understand it this stuff like no matter how good you are this stuff always goes like right you're always going to have problems you know yeah. Oh, yeah. and I remember uh, so yeah I'm just full of stories this time but Jim Rossignol who made uh, So You're Being Hunted uh-huh. he was the lead uh, designer on that one um, he had, they hired a firm to do QA which is bug testing uh-huh. and uh, he was just pissing himself laughing at what the firm came back with like the very first thing the firm did as their test of the game they bind every single key input to escape and then start the game and then hit escape and see what happens wow the other thing being like they got a note back being like why would anyone do that I know but it's <laughs> this is what a QA firm does they also sent a note back saying yeah the inside of the guitar isn't textured you might want to fix that <laughs> Is that a problem? Uh, yeah, it was. It might have even been a solid instrument. It might have been like the inside of the God. What's a solid instrument? The inside of the drum is textured. Yeah, very um, very weird stuff. But I'd really recommend giving it a go, especially because I'm I'm never thought of myself as being that technical, and I've just jumped into it, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. I think the only problem I have with it now is that I get like this with when I'm making a video. I get quite obsessive about it. You do, and I just like just sort of have this mad plow towards it. And then when it's done, it's done. Whereas with a game, I realize like even something simple as scope, it takes such a long time. Yeah, I do get this some because we're working closely on Shut Up and Sit Down, uh, of course. And um, yeah, sometimes you'll send like, well, I know, I know you're doing a video for us and then you'll send in. It's like, man, why is it late? And it's because, for example, you had to do a lightsaber effect. Yeah. You didn't have to. Do- I, oh, get a bit, I get a bit obsessed with it. And so it's the difficult thing I found with this is it's like I can see my vision in my head of what this game is. And it's not very complicated, but it's quite specific. And I want it to be like that. And I also know how long it's going to take me. It's going to take me like months minimum to get <laughs> anything near close to what I... And, but I think the problem is most people give up at that point. They have fun with it. They make a man shoot and then they go, well, how can I do this? And they don't have the, the kind of the focus to, to know that a task is going to take potentially years and just to keep doing it anyway. And I think that's why people don't do it. It's not actually very difficult to make games. It just takes ages. Um, but it is a lot of fun and I'd really recommend having a go at it. and hopefully at some point in the future I'll actually have something finished with people can is, go at it. Is Game Maker free? Game Maker's completely free, yeah. You and can you get use better Tom, versions. Tom Francis's tutorials. Tom Francis tutorials. And actually I've only done like the first five or six of those. And then from that point I kind of felt I had a because I picked it up quite quickly, I felt I had a good enough understanding to kind of just start just doing it by Google and just working out what I need to as I went along. Yeah, Rock, Paper, Shotgun, uh, if people are interested in using Unity, uh, they did a whole series on um, Unity. So if you search for Rock, Paper, Shotgun and Unity, if you want to make like an FBS, then yeah. you can do that. I think Unity's really hard though. Oh, really? Well, they, they were convinced that you could make something relatively easily. Maybe. I mean, Game Maker, you can fudge a lot of stuff. I mean, um, or you can just use RPG Maker or Twine. Look yeah. at all the nice tools. It's true. I think there's a, a satisfaction with Game Maker though in the fact that you can do... It's, it's powerful enough that you can do lots of different types of things with it. And as long as you kind of get your head around the basics. But you will bash your head against the wall wasting so much time. I spent ages doing a really clever camera mechanic. Um, 
that I've realized I've had to recode about eight times because each time I've realized I've done it way too complicated. And now I've actually got to the point where it's almost playable. I'm like, oh, great. I'm not sure it's even fun. Like my, my main mechanic idea for the game, I'm now playing it and I'm like, I might have to ditch this because it's not fun. But I'm having more ideas and replacing them. So it's all, it's all good. It's all good. And it's, it's interesting. I'd recommend giving it a go if you're, if you're someone like me who spent years going, oh, maybe I'll do that one day. It's like, if you're going to do it, just do it. God's sake. Matt Lees versus the Crabs coming to you in 2017. I was going to call it Fuck Crabs. Go. Great. But then I reckon if it does actually get finished, I'd never be able to publish it. Oh, yeah. No publishers would touch you. So I might call it Fun Crabs. (laughs) And then you have an adult mode in the options, right? Yeah, that's that's the idea. So should should we do some questions? (laughs) Let's do some questions. Um, So that's me slightly falling over. It's fine. That's great. Oh, look, you got a big list there. Should we go from top to bottom? Let's do it. Uh, okay, we, I, I'm not wearing my glasses. Peter Dinklage has been replaced in Destiny after criticism as performance. Question by Jenny Penny. And she says, what's all this about? This is really simple, and this is the same... Peter Dinklage is rubbish. Well, he's not rubbish. He's he's a good actor. He's a really good actor. But his like performance in Destiny... Here's what happened. This is a really simple story. Bungie, just like they, for some reason, decided to get... Bloody what's he called? Oh, the, the, the half Ma- the cast Paul of McCartney. Firefly is in uh, is in the sodding. Yeah, but they got McCartney in to sing the song, which was just like what? All right, fine. <laughs> um, they they probably just had a list of people they wanted to meet, and anyway, Peter Dinklage did it. He got canned for it. He got like completely killed, which for is it. fine because his performance is is boring. It's not good. I, I have mean, seen some interviews with uh, Peter Dinklage where he is he is partying inside his mind. <laughs> with, with special special substances it's just and I do I, I had a guess I can easily imagine it. oh video games great don't even having need a, to sober up maybe having a rough day I don't know but basically whatever happened he didn't do a very good job and then he got loads of grief for it and also they probably paid him loads of money because this was you know a full height of the dinkle swing and <laughs> <laughs> And then, so what happens after that? Well, then everyone's like, oh, why isn't he in the DLC? Like, why isn't he being voiced in DLC? It's like, probably because it costs a load of money. And he's brass. And he wasn't that good. And people didn't like it. It's really quite straightforward. It's a lose for Bungie because they get this voiceover which people don't like. And if you're Peter Dinklage, you've already made loads of money for it. If they're not willing to keep paying you loads of money, why would you do a job? Why did we fav this? This this doesn't seem like... I just wanted to answer this because people seem confused. It's like such an easy question. Like... Peter Dinklage just probably doesn't even want to do it because people just give him grief and say, you're rubbish in Destiny. Just like they get... But the interesting thing, I thought it was interesting to talk about briefly because they are basically replacing him throughout the whole game. So Nolan North is going to be... Fucking Nolan North. This is what annoys me though, right? They're replacing uh, the Dinklebot with Nolan North. Yeah, he's not bad, is he? No, but he does everything. Nolan North is just like the video game There was man. a point... Uh, Liquid Snake in the original MGS, uh, Cam Clark, was just everywhere... Uh, for like five years like during the Xbox era and the original Xbox and it was amazing because he never put on a different voice he just says I'm Cam Clark hello everywhere and Nolan North is basically the same like Nolan North may as well be the exact same thing of being like hey I'm Nolan North and this is this isn't all that obviously but he has his voice and it breaks me out of the game because whenever I hear Nolan North in the game I go oh it's Nolan North from video games like it's <laughs> it's just it's oh, so actually it's kind of weird because it means if you do enjoy hearing the Dinklebot you won't be able to for much longer because oh, it's not it'll just be the, like Silent Hill uh, playable teaser it'll be lost forever yeah so. so they're actually going to replace the whole thing so they're going to revoice it all so anyone starting anew will get Nolan North it doesn't seem 
like that much of a loss. It doesn't, but I think it's just interesting. I, it's my, the biggest loss is the fact that you have now coined it as the Dinklebot, which is a great phrase. I don't know if I coined it. I can't remember. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Anyway, um, uh, here we go. I can read it now. Metaphorical Oracle asks, are there any settings uh, of games you'd love to see explored? And again, Matt Redman also says, which period in history would you like to see? I fabbed these, Matt. I took control of the mouse and I fabbed them hard. And it's because Assassin's Creed has like a side-scrolling platformer set. I forget the the, the name of it, but it's like a rubbish side-scrolling uh, DLC platformer. Um, set in Imperial China. Yeah, and it and it profound. I would. That's the setting I was hoping for, right? And it bugs me that um, that they've gone for all these grey, grey, uniformly grey and boring looking settings. Except like the London one, like London, like the American Civil War, like uh, I mean, the Middle East uh, during the Crusades was cool, but like Imperial China is so colourful. And this goes back to that UK resistance: more green skies in game, more blue skies in gaming. Green skies in gaming. I don't know what would have happened there, but uh, yeah, Imperial China is like you know silks and spices and bright red stuff and green stuff and blue stuff I don't know if it actually looked like that but Christ if you've seen all the movies coming out of China the public perception of what uh, China was and looked like in history it's just really sparkly and colourful and different and unique and drab is a part of uh, how Assassin's Creed functions visually in terms of the design it, ne- it has that thing of having giving you a city which is quite monochrome in a way so that you can then pick out things of being like you can use then use color like to to signal stuff and also use color to to kind of when you go into that mode and look stuff unless I'm just imagining that I think no that's no that's a real thing works. yeah stuff picked out as like so I, I like it more colorful as well and I mean also also I'm just confused by the fact that when we went to revolutionary France everybody spoke English very well when we go to London everyone speaks Cockney oh man among the th- where in the world do you go for French people um <laughs> Especially because it's like Ubisoft Montreal, right? I know, but Ubisoft are a bloody French company. I mean, the amount... There's a whole article on this, but the amount of things I loved in the first Assassin's Creed when that series could have been anything that have slowly been dropped as, as Ubisoft, like, forced their poor developers to release this game every fucking year. There were some good things about it. Uh, the, the first in, game was also awful. The um, We could argue about this. It was this. so boring. Look, listen, no. Collect 100 flags. Fuck off. Well, yeah, sure, but you don't collect 100 flags, do you? You just get about halfway through, and then halfway through it gets hard, which Assassin's Creed has never done before. Yeah, it's such a long game. Anyway. Anyway, the thing about that, it had people speaking, like, original Anglo-Saxon in the background. Like, which my friend who was, like, studied at uni was like, wait, holy shit, what the... Like, and it's, you know, all of these, like, languages and stuff, and that's when the series felt like it could have been anything, you know, when it was mm. taking these historical settings and really transporting you, whereas now, yeah, it's, it's cockneys. Well, everywhere. it's because the first game underwent some severe development changes. Originally, originally the rumour I heard is originally it was going to be a historical game, but then they decided the American market wouldn't like history so it had to be a science fiction game God. and so they basically just shoehorned in this science fiction story which is why coincidentally the science fiction story was bollocks and <laughs> yeah. was bollocks all the way through the series there we go surprising no one uh, fish oh god I, I'll read this because you've got a trick with these it's difficult you've got to read them while speaking towards a microphone it's really hard well, yes, you're, okay. um, which you're not going to be able to do if you need glasses to <laughs> so I'm not having to go at you away you go away you I'm go. just using my excellent eyes so Fish asks um, can we see you both do more co-op game vids like the Helldivers one well we've done more Helldivers ones and then we're going to do and more and then we're going to do more the short answer is yes yes you can uh, it's a really easy question um, Callum Longstroth asks how disappointed are you that we still don't have a Western release for the proper version of PSO2? Where you go, man. I couldn't give a flying... I couldn't give anything, really. Any PSO. form of flying words. Yes. 
Uh, yeah, I, I love PSO, the original PSO, so much. But Fantasy Star Online, right? Yeah, Fantasy Star Online. Fantasy Star Universe was probably one of the biggest disappointing things that ever happened in my life. Wow. I'm just that privileged. <laughs> um, and then, no, I got quite excited on Twitter the other week because PSO 2 was apparently playable in English. And then it turned out that actually, and I learned about this recently, actually it's bollocks because there are two different versions of PSO 2. The Japanese version which is apparently it's already actually been localized by fans, which is good. And then they ported it over to America and the American version is just massively pay to win and pretty awful. Weird. So the European version is just the American one. On the subject, I sincerely hope, there's no way this is going to be the case, but I hope that I can play through Final Fantasy XV in the original Japanese because it's so important to me, Matt. If they speak in like English language, you know, it's transparent that this is like cartoonish and silly and for kids but if it's in Japanese I can imagine I'm playing a serious piece of like imp- culturally relevant uh, artwork <laughs> um, this is, it's that simple but like it's going to be but the audio in that game is going to be gigs and gigs and gigs that so is so true but it'll I love, never be on the disc you're right and I enjoy that that element that you can trick yourself but I do love it also when people are a bit dim and they think it's actually better like I love it when people say, "Oh, Western voice actors are terrible. Japanese voice actors are much better." Anyone who they studied- put their energy into it and they perform with their soul, and it's just a better <laughs> thing. And it's like, do you? Yeah, but you're, you're English. You might speak a bit of Japanese. And I love that people actually believe they, you know, they're smoking their own sauce, and they think, "Oh, it's but Japanese oh, yeah. is better." And you're like, "No." Japanese voice voice acting is probably just as hammy and bad as No, I, I went to uh, I lived in Japan for like three months when I was like I'm going to be a game journalist in Japan turns out I'm bad at languages but I did learn enough Japanese that it's like oh yeah this fact, this voice acting is just like it's like so exaggerated and childish and insane and then of course you also learn that Japan is massively racist sexist and xenophobic yeah, and that kind of sounds the country yeah. for you I don't know Quinns I disagree I think they just uh, they have just a more relaxed culture where it's okay for me to be a shithead too <laughs> <laughs> anyway oh onwards. god uh, Brett Claxton asks what are your favourite sports games that aren't real sports games that was part two of his question but uh, it looks like part one wasn't required so we'll just jump in straight <laughs> out um, sports games but I, I, I'm really interested in uh, video ball which I think Tim Rogers and the people are working on like I, I love artificial <laughs> sound real video ball no it, it's very much like tongue in cheek uh, sort of you shoot you know, I think it's basically volleyball but you're shooting the ball rather than like that's cool. it with your hands why not yeah and then again Rocket League happened recently right well, everybody is talking about Rocket League I can't stop hearing about this Rocket League that's what happens when a game's free on PSN and actually good how right? is it I yeah. see I haven't had a chance to check it out at well now you've lost a chance because it was last month was it yeah uh, maybe I downloaded you could it. buy it maybe I downloaded it you could in the way that I always it. download everything without really looking at what it is sure and then I get an email from Sony saying thank you for your purchases and it's like <laughs> Thank you, mate. I didn't spend a penny. Boom! <laughs> and that's Boom. why I like emails. Uh, no, fantasy sports are great. I think like sports are awesome and there's so much we can do, you know, draw from like why they're exciting and then just make them like, exaggerate. I can't stop thinking about Blitzball now just because you were talking about Final Fantasy. Oh, God. See, I have a small fondness for Blitzball and I know that um, fellow Daft Souls person Joe Scrabbles also loves Blitzball. And he loves it in a non-ironic way. Where I um, quite liked it, but it is. I'm aware that it's bad, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I, I found this question thinking we'd have something really smart to say about fantasy sports. Aside from they're awesome, um, I got nothing. There's some interesting stuff. I think when uh, what was that game recently that came out? That I think it was a 
Frozen Cortex? Frozen? Oh, yeah, the American football, but turn-based. Yeah, yeah. and with robots. So I like... could not get my head around that. It's, I think it's apparently amazing if you're a bit of a genius. Yeah. Um, but I just really tried to get my head into it, and I watched some videos, but the, the entry level was so steep, and the fact that you just sort of think, you like, this might be well, and then you press space bar, and it plays out the play, and the, the very simple AI just destroys you. i tell you what, I'm really, really loving the this... Uh, well, I don't know. If the rise of esports hasn't happened yet, but I'm loving publishers spending a shitload of money on it. I'm really enjoying that, you like, you know, I've got friends now at the International this week, you know, yeah. which is Dota 2's big world championship. I love... You know, teams and athletes and all that weird stuff because I just like games and I'm interested in all facets of gaming and play and the the ability to explore this world of like um I don't know of sports of athletes it just makes games wider and that's awesome to me. I love that all my uh, journalist friends who got into esports all found out the same thing that sports journalists know, which is that athletes are really boring interview subjects. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like oh we're going to do some great content here, but it turns out athletes who do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, you know, better than the rest of humanity, don't have a lot of other stuff going on. Yes, well, I mean, at dinner parties, like, I'm, I'm incredibly dull. Like, if you want to, like, if you want to <laughs> hear me talking about video games or doing podcasts or stuff, cool, I can do that. But, like, anything else, I literally spend all my time making videos and doing podcasts about <laughs> games and things, so... Uh, same thing are you yeah. sure you don't want to hear about video games <laughs> I would just yeah I'd love to see more sports and games I don't know if how much of a new thing it actually brings I just feel like these uh, these competitions um, just just or just emphasise the competitive nature of, of games which already existed and I've never really been interested in oh, well, but that's fine I like it what else we got horses for courses finally we've got a question by Russell Lindsay who says which we get this question quite a lot uh, but this one's specifically about Gen Con, which we were out recently, but we'll talk about it in a minute. Uh, did you see any board games or game mechanics at Gen Con that made you think, this needs to be realised in a video game? Let's do a PSA here, because you did an amazing video recently for an amazing board game, and let's just make sure the people at home know this stuff, right? Yeah. Because you might not think board games are for you, but Matt did a review recently of a game called Star Wars Imperial Assault, um, which is a big, beautiful box full of tiny plastic ATSTs, plastic stormtroopers, plastic smugglers and Jedis... Mm -hmm. Um, they're not Jedi's they're force sensitive exiles according because now it's a force sensitive exile actually well, well Matt there's a, yeah there's because according to Disney's new universe there are only three Jedi's uh, like Obi-Wan Luke and Darth Vader everyone else is a force sensitive exile licensing issues <laughs> but yeah Imperial Assault is a, an amazing game where you like build these uh, clip these little rooms together then you build a little adventure and it's your friends shooting guns so and cool it's like a little, a little Star Wars co-op RPG adventure which is like feels like well video gamey of being like oh you upgrade your gun with this attachment and now you can shoot things better I, I mean, mean it's basically XCOM right and if you enjoy XCOM at all and like Star Wars at all if you like either of those things you should for, for sure think about buying Imperial Assault I mean at the very least you should check out this the video review I did on Shut Up Sit Down recently if only for the fact that it is an extremely entertaining video full of quite cool jokes and, and video effects, effects yeah. Um, so yeah I'd really recommend that I find it interesting actually because a lot of time people do say that people go Oh yeah, I don't really, I don't really do board game stuff. I just do video games. And yeah. It's like, what are you doing? Like, they're beautiful together. They're, they're, it's just like you know, it's like peanut butter and chocolate. They're like they're totally two halves of the same hobby. And even if you think, well, I don't really have any friends who will be interested as well. Like cities are getting so much better at having like things. Like even my brother, my brother plays a lot of board games. His friends are into board games, but now he's found that there are certain games he wants to play which he can't get his friend group interested in because they're like more of a party crowd largely and they're too hungover or drunk or whatever. So now he goes to these things on Mondays in Manchester where he just plays like 
complicated games with other people who he doesn't know mm-hmm. who are there because they want to play these games yeah so rather than like other things in board games that we think video games should take on I think video gamers in general should be like getting involved in this because Gen Con was so much fun it's like 60,000 gamers making it like on par with almost on par with I think it was more than that I thought it was 65,000 maybe I think it was more than that I can't remember but in my head it was like at least 100,000 yeah just amazingly friendly people coming to Indianapolis and then we're there we're filming stupid stuff we're getting like teetering stacks of review copies that then go into a bag and that we take home it's an incredible atmosphere for reasons I'm going to write something about it pretty soon I think but advice right yeah um just trying to get my head around why it's such an amazing atmosphere. I think there's a whole lot of factors, but it's just amazingly nice. Like, there's no cynicism there. Like, everyone turns up to Gen Con and they, they're excited about what they're excited about and they don't give a fuck about what anyone else is doing. Some people are there because they really want to play the new, like, the, the new thing and they buy the new thing and they play it with their friends in their hotel and they get excited and they have fun. I mean, Some people are there because they're playing the same World War II game that they've been playing for 20 years and that's just what they like to do. We saw a Scooby-Doo miniatures game at one yeah. point which was like homebrew and very weird. And there's a slight snark between the two different, like all the different groups you get of different types of gamers but mostly people just don't give a damn. They I mean this is what the thing. If, you, if you've at all thought about like going to Comic-Con or E3 it's, it's Gen Con is like the same kind of experience and maybe think about going because you buy the one game you want to play and you go back to your hotel and that's where it ends at Comic-Con but with Gen Con it's like then you just see a random person and he says hey and you say hey and what's your name and then you just play an amazing game with him Yeah, it's four you, days of that and you can just check stuff out and you can just be like oh can you show me this game and god it's good it's really good it's such a such a wonderful palette cleanser If you but, do, so yeah if you're at all curious about board games which you should be frankly if you like because no one really just likes video games they, you just like games that's the truth of it yeah so head on down yeah, that, that's Shop and sit down. Yeah, absolutely. Do. Click on the little videos tab. Find something that takes your fancy. But um, yeah, I mean, not blowing our own trumpet, but the videos on there are all really entertaining, really funny. <laughs> so even if you're not really interested in board games, you'll probably find that you'll watch this and go, holy shit, this is actually really good. Um, but anyway, yeah. An interesting question we get asked a lot is about, oh, what board game have you played where mechanics should be used in a video game? It's not really that simple. It's more just the fact that you start playing board games and there are so many interesting ideas and so many interesting riffs on it's traditional world. mechanics that you just go, why the hell are like... And, and this is what we learned at GDC when we were last year. We were kind of there specifically to try and facilitate this, to try and get more game devs to go, oh, board games. But it's amazing how few game devs are actually that familiar with board games and they're just missing they're not just missing one thing they're just missing a treasure trove of perspective we should name a couple of things just so this has some like some some meat to it sure so at Gen Con we played a game called Evolution These, let's just spell out a couple of ideas that sure. video games could use Evolution um, is a game where kind of a strategy game but it would you could very easily turn it into like a, an action game you're all a species and you can evolve a bit like Spore and you can evolve you know, a long neck so you can get to different plants and you're all competing over food. But at any point, anyone can pivot their species into a carnivore. That's what you evolve. And suddenly your food demand changes from all the plants that you're fighting other players for to other players. Which might be really good if apparently there's a, you know, a bit of a shortage of food then you should be like, well, it doesn't matter because I'm a carnivore now. But then so all- you're my food. <laughs> yeah, whereas suddenly if everyone goes carnivore then you eat everyone and carnivores can eat other carnivores and then maybe you're the one herbivore left with a really hard shell you can just potter around breeding <laughs> but that in itself I think is quite an interesting mechanic in the fact that in most video games even stuff like it reminded me actually weirdly evolution reminded me a lot of Starcraft oh, yeah? in the idea that really in order to do well you had to try and expand early mm-hmm. uh, and just be like have lots of species of things because you can keep making new species all the time and if you do that there are quite a lot of rewards for doing that but then you leave yourself very open 
to attacks oh, from predators. So then there's this thing of like, well, do you do that? Or, but even then when you're making your ecosystems, you're like, do you make this amazing forage? you make this amazing herbivore? Well, yeah. But then when, <laughs> it's like that point of, but when do I start defending them? Because if you just start defending all the time, then you're not going to be getting as much food. You're not going to be yeah. winning as much. But then if you leave it too late and suddenly a couple of big carnivores come out of nowhere, I love that it's basically that equivalent of a kind of, and almost like, because you're sharing these shared resources, it does feel very much like an RTS of like trying to get the most of the shared resources in a way without stretching yourself too thin. But the fact that there's no combat at the start and yeah. just not knowing when it's going to start. And yeah, so another player can flip that stage whenever they want. The other thing that board games do a lot of that's just amazing and Kanan Lynch of all things, the the, the IO interactive FPS. I think we've talked about this before. Yeah, for sure. So um, board games do fragile alliances a lot and betrayal mechanics whereby it's a co-op game when we're all working together but one of us might secretly have a card that sure. says no you want everyone to lose and then it's when you betray everyone which Kane Lynch did famously because you all the players are working together to rob a bank and you steal money but then uh, you know you want you ideally want to be the only person who gets out alive and we've still got that knocking around now like I saw it at E3 we had uh, the new uh, not Rainbow Six but it may have no it's, it's Tom Clancy's The Division oh yeah that has now the danger zone or whatever so it's like missions where you get more stuff but then you can basically at the last minute shoot your allies in the back and take all the money and it is just like oh like is it, having seen how much amazing stuff is going on with the concept of moles and betrayers within board games to see yet another game where the, the premise is well just wait until the end of the mission then shoot all your friends and get the most money yep. it's just like that is fucking boring <laughs> and also it's just so predictable it's like well what's going to happen then you're, you're never going to have a game where even if it did something like just dealt it to one, one player of being like rather than being like something anyone can do yeah. just said to somebody one of the players just gets a little message and says friendly fires off and then it's just just then yeah sure but then even so maybe video gamers the attitude is just wrong and what's I to mean, stop them from just then shooting everyone plus in board games uh, you know you can do that in strategy games quite nicely because when people betray you you go ah how are we going to salvage this situation whereas with this FPS thing it's like oh you shot me in the back and the experience is over for me now yeah which yeah. is bad for one person it's a fundamental problem I think with a lot of the, the, the core of, of what video games try and do in their scope in terms of multiplayer stuff but anyway yeah If uh, the long story short of this is Gen Con was awesome we'll have a video about Gen Con coming up oh, an again. amazing video of uh, us visiting leather outfitters oh, and, yeah. uh, and going to a masked ball it's going to be really low in terms of actual uh, information about the, games, the show but it will be funny it'll be really fun yeah if so that's going out. Uh, not this coming Friday but the Friday after that yeah. um, and if you're listening to this in the future just google uh, shut up and sit down Gen Con and you'll find some stuff yeah and yeah, we'll have more stuff coming out soon. Helldivers and then more stuff from me and Quinn's pretty soon. I'll tell you what, we came back with a bang. That was like, that's more than an hour of hot gaming goodness. Oh, it's all over me. I really hope that if people enjoy the show, they're going to give us five stars on iTunes and be entered into our fabulous contest. Well, of course, the competition. So yes. finally, the winner of the last podcast competition, which was, I think, a Lamborghini? Lamborghini Gallardo, yeah. Gallardo was uh, James Video Games of oh, Norfolk. Oh, well done, James. Congratulations, James. That uh, Lamborghini will wing its way to you in a van very soon. Oh, what's, our, what's our prize if you win the raffle for giving us a five-star review on iTunes this week, Oh, Matt? this month, for everyone who gives us a five-star review on iTunes this week, you could win an entire month of that kind of feeling of well-being that just makes you feel nice, but not that nice. Oh, I love that feeling. You'll have enough to last you a whole month. Oh, man, I'm going to give reviewers five stars as soon as we stop recording. You know why? Because it also really helps with discoverability on iTunes. Yeah, I suppose it does. But really, it's about competitions and winning. Mm. Thanks very much for listening to the podcast anyway. Thank and we'll you. see you next time. See you. Bye. Bye.